Good morning, 8 o'clock. I'm talking about being awake this morning. Uh, <laughs> um, glad to hear some of you are already. Yes, Lord, as we're going to open your word, I pray that you would teach us how much you value time. Lord, we only have limited time. And I pray tonight, Lord, you would awaken us to your kingdom call to use it well. Lord, we don't know how much time we have. Lord, Christ might be coming sooner than we think, but we pray as a congregation, as a generation, we would make full use of this gift of life and time to be at work with the Father's business. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's open up the Bible to Mark chapter 13, verse 24 this morning. Mark chapter 13, verse 24. And we're carrying on from quite a profound text last week, and I would encourage you, if you have not listened to the sermon, to do so online. You can go to our website, www.studyingbaptist.com, and uh, you can have a listen to the sermon. I encourage you to do so. Well, we're going to carry on from verse 24 this morning, um, and these are powerful words that Jesus is uh, talking to his four disciples that have asked him a big question. Let's continue verse 24, Mark 13. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the power in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, he's talking about a different day. No one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. Watch. Keep your eyes open. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, you four disciples, I say to all, in other words, us this morning, stay awake. I want to remind you that this text comes out of a private conversation Jesus has predicted this dramatic and violent destruction of this great temple in Jerusalem. And uh, it's a massive moment for any Jewish person hearing that. And so these four disciples come to Jesus, Andrew, James, 
John and Peter, and they ask him a question, when are these things going to happen, and how do we know they're going, or when they're going to take place? And uh, for the, a Jewish person listening to the destruction of their temple, it would be an immediate conclusion in their minds. It would be the Day of Judgment, the capital D. These disciples think Jesus is talking about the day when God is going to come and bring judgment upon the earth and usher in a, a new kingdom, a, a new heavens and earth in which righteousness dwells. But Jesus corrects him. He says, no, no, I'm talking about two days. The first is this predicted destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And the second is this second coming of Jesus. His second coming, which is going to be the culmination of God's kingdom coming in all of its fullness. And we see him use his language very carefully. He talks about a local fleeing in Judea. In verse, I think it was verse 14, yes, of chapter 13, he says there's going to come a time, a local time of a people fleeing from Jerusalem because there's going to be these armies coming in. And ultimately, we know that took place in AD 70 under Titus. They trashed Jerusalem and they smashed down the temple and they committed terrible atrocities against the Jews. But he said concerning the day I'm talking about, that day or the hour when I'm coming again, he says, no one knows. No one knows. You can't predict the signs. Uh, he's going to come like a thief. And uh, we know that Jesus is training his disciples, we said last week, to face a future with trouble. Isn't that helpful for us today? We are facing a troublesome future, not so. Nothing new for the Christian. Jesus says, be on your guard whenever you get to these weird predictions which tend to arise when there's trouble in, on, on, in the nations. Be careful. Be on your guard against any person that claims to be me or teaches strange predictions that are not in line with my word. He also says we must prepare ourselves for a life of faith, that we are not expecting heaven on earth, but rather trusting the one who is going to bring heaven on earth, but we're not there yet. We are to have confidence in God's control of the future, and ultimately we are to be a people of prayer. And we know that trouble did come. It was a terrible, terrible moment for the Jewish nation and um, in AD 70, they would have been wiped out if Jesus had said, yeah, if it had not been for the mercy of, of God. It says in verse 20 that the Lord had to cut short the days of suffering for the sake of the elect. In other words, it could have been that those who survived the siege of Jerusalem, uh, seeing the destruction of the temple, finally put their faith in Jesus, that there were those in, in Jerusalem that were going to be saved, there were elect there, or which is a very good argument, God is not done with the nation of Israel yet. Is Although they've been cast out for a period of time, which has led to the Gentiles, you and me coming in, there's going to come a day, I read it this week, if you're doing the Bible reading plan in Romans 11, where it says, if their rejection led to the acceptance of the Gentiles, how much more will their reintroduction, their coming into Christ, lead to resurrection, life from the dead? And there is, for our sake, and a coming revival. And I mean, remember Pierre Morel saying two years ago, it's amazing what's happened in Israel. People are coming to faith left, right, and center. And who knows what God is doing? Perhaps in our day, this talk about God bringing worldwide revival in the, the coming and bringing the Jewish nation into Christ. Who knows what we might see in our day? We may even see life from the dead in the worldwide church. And we know, we know that Eusebius, it was amazing. He was an ancient uh, church historian. He said, not a single Christian died in the siege. They obeyed Jesus, they dropped everything, they ran for their lives. As soon as they saw the abomination of desolation, these pagans coming to stand in the temple, they, were, they ran for the hills to a place called Pella in Perea. And we know not a single Christian, according to Eusebius, 
passed away in the siege because they obeyed Jesus and God spared them. And today, friends, we are going to look at what can we learn from this destruction of Jerusalem. It's a foretaste around what the second coming of Jesus is going to be like. I want to remind you today, life is not going to continue as we know it forever. And that means I need your ears because there is going to come a massive change in the way this world is orientated towards God that unless you are ready for this morning, it will pass you by with eternal consequences that will be too awful to explain. We're going to look at when Jesus says, but concerning that day and hour, the second coming of Jesus, no one knows. And therefore, we are to live in a different kind of readiness to this predicted fall of Jerusalem. And my opening point this morning, there are only two, but my first one is the destruction of the temple is a foretaste of the second coming. The reason why Jesus talks about the destruction of Jerusalem and then his second coming is because he wants us today, through his conversation with these apostles, to understand that this destruction of Jerusalem is to be an object lesson. It is to be a preview for what the ultimate grand finale act is going to be. And I have to be honest with you quickly, commentators are, they differ between whether or not Jesus in this opening text of verse 24, it says, but in those days after the tribulation, uh, the sun will be darkened and the moon will give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven. Some, like William Lane, which I initially agreed with, he says, no, the, Jesus is talking about the second coming. He's not talking about a continued discourse on the fall of Jerusalem. Other guys, like Michael Eaton, are saying, no, no, Jesus is still talking about Jerusalem, but metaphorically saying this is an example of what's going to happen on that day. It's picture language. It is a further progression of the kingdom of Jesus being given to him in the story of the church. And in the end, I've got to say, I didn't necessarily originally agree with Michael Eaton because I'm going, well, you look at the language and it's, it's, it should be the second coming. But in actual fact, if you look at the flow of the text, how he, Jesus comes to this parable of the fig tree saying, watch its leaves. You'll know it's sign. He's, talk, he's continuing to talk about Jerusalem, which both commentators agree, by the way, that the fig tree is talking about the fall of Jerusalem. If you look at this flow, I, ultimately it doesn't really matter because both end up pointing to the second coming. But I do want to say to you today, where I agree with Michael Eaton, is that this fall of Jerusalem is a preview. It's a lesson. It's a teaching on how we are to expect the second coming and its nature. So... I want to remind you that throughout Scripture, as you read your Bible, there are many previews of the day of the Lord, of judgment. Remember the great flood in Noah? How God casts judgment upon the earth and the wicked are wiped out, but those that are righteous are saved? Remember that? Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? How the righteous lot is rescued, but this raining down of sulfur and, and terrible fire is another preview of the day of the Lord. It's the same in, when, when God struck the firstborn of Egypt. It was those who trusted in the Passover lamb. And this angel passed over again, striking down those that were outside of God's provided means of salvation, the blood of the lamb, the sacrifice, this substitute. And friends, this destruction of the temple of Jerusalem is just another act in God moving his kingdom forward. It is another moment where we see a preview of this great and mighty coming 
of the Son of God. And, and I want to say, well, then what can we learn today from Jerusalem and its destruction about what the second coming is going to be like? Well, the first that I want to point your attention to is the second coming is a fact. It is going to come. Just as Jesus was right about Jerusalem, he's saying, learn, my words, heaven and earth may pass away, but my words are not. This morning, 8 o'clock, I want to tell you with absolute certainty, the second coming is coming. It's a fact of history uh, to be played out. The second is that it will not be immediate. We can see that Jesus' prediction of the fall of Jerusalem took 40 years to fulfill. It was a long time before the actioning of his prophetic word took place. And it is a, it is a, a lesson for us this morning that the second coming of Jesus is not going to happen the second that Christ predicted it. And how many years have we wait, been waiting since he last predicted it? It was about 1,970 years. The third is that it's going to be public. Just as in Jerusalem, those Jews could look out from the city walls and see the armies of Titus marching down on, on the city of Jerusalem, they could see that this man was coming, and it was a public coming. Friends, I want to say to you today, none of us are going to miss the second coming of Jesus. He's going to be coming in clouds of glory with his army of angels and the elect caught up to be with him. And just as they saw Titus coming, the leader of this great nation, we're going to see the leader of this great kingdom nation, this heavenly nation, Jesus, coming in clouds of glory. What a sight it's going to be, right? Oh, time doesn't give me enough uh, chance to talk about that, but it's going to be Glorious. Awesome. And what it's going to do is going, it's going to usher in a new era completely in the kingdom. And this is very important. Just as that temple and city was consumed by fire, this is the prediction of Peter about the second coming. Just as that city, Jerusalem, was burnt up to the ground. This is what Peter says, the day of the Lord, the second coming is going to be like in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. Just op open the imagination of your minds. And the heavenly bodies will burn up and dissolve, be dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Just as Jerusalem was burnt down and the temple was burned to the ground, so this Heaven and earth, these, these stars and planets, and, and this earth is going to be consumed with fire. And just as on that day, those in the city of Jerusalem after the tribulation, in other words, once the, the Roman success had trashed the city, they could see the smoke rising up, blotting out the sun, making the moon red. And they could see literally their world falling in around them. They could see this temple that had been the very purpose of them guarding the city with their blood. They could see it being tossed down into to rubble. And they could see that their world was collapsing around them. It's such great picture language to tell how awesome and, and, and how final this destruction of the city and its temple was. And friends... So it will be on the day of the Lord. This world is going to be built, burnt to the ground. It's going to be passed away through fire. And what will happen on that day is what happened on the day when Jerusalem was destroyed, is that Jesus will receive his kingdom in full. This picture language of, of the sun 
being blotted out and, and the moon going dark and, and the stars falling from heaven. It comes from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. And Daniel saw a picture. I want to read it to you this morning because it's a fulfillment, a partial fulfillment of the ultimate fulfillment in the second coming. Daniel says this. I says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And friends, Jesus received this kingdom from the Father in stages. This is very important as you read your Bible. You will notice it if you think about it, that step by step this kingdom is moving forward, and every time there was a massive moment of kingdom advancement, things were radically changed in how the, the world was to relate to God. I'll give you an example very quickly. Remember at his death, what tore from top to bottom? The temple? Curtain. Do you know how radical that is? The moment that Jesus died, it was cataclysmic for the way that we were to approach God in that suddenly these, these goats and lambs, their blood was no longer satisfactory to the Father because the perfect offering had been made. And in that moment, the law ceased. When that temple was, was torn from top to bottom, the law ceased and we had a radical new way of relating to God in His kingdom through the blood of Jesus Christ. The next one is when Jesus was risen. We're going to get to it in Easter on the third day. There was earthquakes. In his resurrection power, we see bodies that were risen from their graves and they walked around Jerusalem. There was this earth-shattering power in the resurrection that enabled this power for the resurrection of others to happen at the same time. A different way of relating to death took place on that day. What about the ascension? When Jesus was risen to go be with the Father, he, Hebrews tells us he sprinkled heaven with his blood. That's why you have an assurance of salvation, my friend. Can the human race ever fall again once you go to be with glory? No, because there is always the blood that stands as the substitute and ability for God to pardon any form of, of sin. It, it, it is bulletproofing heaven against sin. And friends, at that moment, we received Christ who is praying for us. On that day, you received an intercessor better than anybody else you know. Oh, but there's something else more powerful that took place in Christ's intercession was the pouring out of the Spirit. And you know when Jesus poured out the Spirit? Please listen to me very carefully. It was the day when the law was being celebrated, Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. And Jesus moves forward his church in the power of the Spirit. There is a new way of relating to this King of kings and Lord of lords. There is a moving forward of the way this kingdom is advancing on planet Earth. And friends, when this destruction of Jerusalem took place, it was cataclysmic for the Jewish nation trying to find another means of being right with God outside of Jesus. You must understand that when that temple was burning, that was their only other hope of turning to a God who had provided a sacrifice. They tried Romans. If you're reading your Bible plan, you would have gone through Romans chapter 7. You would have gone through Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 11. Paul goes over and over. These men tried, and these women, these Jewish people were trying to get their righteousness before God by this work, by this temple act, by these sacrifices that were insufficient to be their substitutes. 
But in that moment when Christ predicts the fall of Jerusalem, and it happened, friends, never again has that temple been rebuilt. And even if it did, it can never go back to temple worship. Do you know why? Because nobody knows the tribes. The books are burnt up. Nobody knows where the Ark of the Covenant is. All of these essentials for maintaining the Mosaic law ceased on that day. And friends, the way that we relate to God radically changed, even for the Jewish nation, in that statement of saying the temple's gone. Now, why do I say that this morning? The first thing is I want to point out that this kingdom is advancing. Amen? That according to Abraham in the way he related to God, you have a massive advantage. Amen? Don't worry, it's, a, it's, the, it's the load shedding. Amen? This morning you are in a better covenant with better promises, with better assurance of your salvation, with greater access to this King of kings and Lord of lords. This kingdom is advancing, praise God. But on the second coming, friend, it will be the culmination. It will be the the final note of a massive opera, of of a massive drama in which the victory of the kingdom will be final, praise God. And I want to point out to you today, all of this is certain. It's certain. This is not something where it might happen. It may happen. Every act and preview in history is a warning, is an assurance that the second coming is going to come. And when it comes, it's going to be final victory. And I want to ask you, are you living for that day? Let me tell you, when you think about when we will stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords, what do the problems of this world really look like? When we think about what it means to follow Jesus, being honored on that day, that this world has a full stop, that this world is going to be burnt up, melting away. It's not even going to be in the memory bank except what is done for the glory of Jesus. I want to remind you, friends, how does life look in the light of this great and awesome second coming? What does pleasure in sin look like in the light of that? What does choosing to disobey Jesus look in the light of that? Friends, the kingdom and its value and the ability to pursue it and the privilege of it starts to sink into our hearts when we start to see that this second coming, it's coming. And how we live matters. In in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says, there's one thing that will be left when this world passes through fire. It's the works done in the flesh. All of that that's not done for Jesus will be burnt up. All of that that's done for Jesus will be remembered. And friends, it is like receiving eternal interest over and over again, a commendation for obedience to Christ. I ask you, how does sin look in the light of that day? How does living a life for Jesus look in the light of this, that day? How does living a life in this world look like, or for this world, in the temporary nature of this world, look like in that day? That's the deep question we have to wrestle with in our hearts. That's how we weigh up what's of true value on planet Earth. And I want to say my final observation about what Jerusalem teaches us this morning is that only those who believe in the gospel of Jesus will be saved. Now, I want to be very, very helpful to the not yet believer this morning and the believer. I want to ask you, is there anybody here this morning that does not have Jesus as their only hope for rescue on that day? I don't, I don't, actually, let me me be careful how I phrase this. It doesn't matter how many times you come to this building and lift up your hands or give in that offering bag. That is not going to be enough to stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords. There is only one means of salvation. It is faith in one sacrifice. It is Jesus. It is something outside of yourselves. The sweat of your brow, the depth of your pockets, 
the promises of your heart to be better, the good intentions of your life. Friends, I want to be helpful to you today. There is nothing outside of the rescue of Jesus going to be sufficient. And that's what the temple is saying. It was this destruction of the center of works. That way of trying to find righteousness with this God of your, your sacrifices and your rituals and all of these, these, these efforts of human flesh, it was a command to the nations of saying, if you're going to try and find your salvation, how good you are this morning, and in your religious works, and you're trying to be better for a God who is perfect, friends, there is destruction in that moment. It is a clear verdict to you this morning. There is no way that you are going to get to heaven by the flesh or by the works or by the sweat of your hands. Nothing. Systems will not save you. Tradition will not save you. Faith of another person in your family will not save you. It is only faith in the blood of Jesus Christ claimed by your heart that will make you right on that day because there's something powerful it talks about here. It's picture language for Jerusalem, but it's true for the second coming. In that moment of destruction of Jerusalem, the, 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 the people of Christ were scattered and here Jesus talks about angels being sent from to the four corners of heaven and earth. Angels can mean messengers. It's the same word in Greek. These, these people, these people, these followers of Jesus in the destruction of Jerusalem were scattered to the known world. And what were they doing wherever they went? They were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were saying that you are saved only in a person, not in a system. And you might be falling asleep this morning, but I tell you what, on that day you'll wake up to the fact that this King of Kings, he is the fact of history. And when he comes, friends, don't think that you can have time on your side to say, oh, I'll believe on him then. Oh, I'll believe in Jesus when I see him with my eyes. Friends, that's not faith. That's by sight, and you're only saved by faith. If you see Jesus with your eyes, it's too late. It's too late. And this morning... I am being very direct because this is not something to mess around with. We are here today, if you are not yet certain about Jesus, to help you to be certain about where your salvation lies. It is a matter of life and death. Because the joy of this preach is Jesus says, we don't know when he's coming back. And if you walk out of this room going, oh, I didn't quite understand what he said, but you can understand this. That if you stand before Christ outside of anything but Him, and if you stand before Him giving an account and a defense outside of faith in Him, friends, you will not enter into a new heavens and new earth. Rather, like the flames of Jerusalem, those that are outside of the will of God, those who didn't run to because, uh, and, and obey the words of Jesus, those who didn't, didn't escape from the judgment, they burnt in the flames. And friends, it's the same this morning. These are not pleasant things to talk on. But I must say, this is what the Bible calls us to be as a church, faithful to be a lampstand of the gospel. And this is it. Are you responding to the light of God's word in your heart this morning, which says, are you right with Jesus? Are you ready for his coming by faith? Are you ready to say before him, in Christ alone my hope is found. All other ground is sinking sand that every part of my life I've put faith in, I've, I've abandoned because I put all of my faith in you. That's the right response to this text. And if you are not ready, friends, it will have eternal consequences. Ah, oh, but I also want to remind those this morning, please pay attention, that we are to live lives worthy of the gospel. Paul says, I read it in Romans, I think it was this morning. He says, therefore don't walk as if you're in the darkness. Don't walk in a way inappropriate to what you know 
is going to come. You walk in the light. You walk in the light of this kingdom and what's going to please Jesus. You face your suffering. You face your hardship. You face whatever God has in store for you with a sense of this is in the light of him coming. And my life, it matters. It matters. This time granted me, we'll see in the parable, to get on with the responsibilities that God has given each one of us to do. It matters. And friends, we are waiting for this promise of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. It says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And that's why Jesus says we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness, because in the end, the only thing that stands in the kingdom of righteousness is righteousness. Is a righteousness received by faith in Jesus and a righteousness worked out by working out salvation for him. Are you ready to meet him this morning? But there is another great difference I want to point out to you between Jerusalem and the second day. Is Jesus says you can predict this coming of Jerusalem when you see these armies coming in, when you see this sign and this sign and this sign. It's like the fig tree. He says, when you start to see it getting nice and bushy, you know summer's coming. For you first-generation Christians, he said, this will happen in your generation. Those that are around are going to see the destruction of Jerusalem. And when you see these signs, you run for it. But it's not going to be like in the second coming. And this is where we're going to get to today and land on, is we relate, we, we relate differently to the second coming because we don't know when it's going to come. And it requires a posture it requires a way of relating to the second coming that's very different to these guys that could look for a sign that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. And Jesus implies by his instruction for us to stay awake, it's going to take a long time to come. I mean, the reason why you fall asleep is you get tired of waiting, right? <laughs> but he also says this, is, guys, I just want to point out to you that there's a possibility whilst you wait, you can drift. And he says that we are to watch, to stay awake and pray. Now, let's just unpack in the final point this morning, this call to stay awake. This is a very, very profound, uh, this is just touching the surface this morning, but this is the application, this is the take home for the believer in how we are to respond to this coming of Christ. He says at the end, in verse 37, a very beautiful words. he says, And what I say to you at the end of this chapter, what I say to you four disciples, he says, I say to all. This application moved from being these four disciples in Jerusalem to the second coming and being an application to everyone who's going to follow in their footsteps, which is you and me. And his command is to stay awake to keep your eyes open. And he tells a parable. He talks about a man, an owner of a house. He goes away on a long journey, but before he goes, he puts his servants in place. And he says, guys, I want you to do this and this and this and this and this. And the doorkeeper particularly, I want you to stay awake because I could come back at any moment. And he says, I could come back at the rooster crow. I could come in at midday. I could come back in the evening. I could come back at midnight. It's, it's Jewish way of saying within the 24-hour period, it could be at any moment. So don't think that uh, there's going to be a specific time where I might be polite to you. <laughs> and this morning, I want to ask you the question this, this morning, are you spiritually awake? To Jesus. And I want to help us assess where we are before Him. That's the outworking. Are you fast asleep? Or are you awake to the one who's coming for you? 
And are you busy with the responsibility that he has given each one of us? Public or not, in your mind, big or small, it doesn't matter. We have been given aspects of the kingdom to steward for his glory, and we are to be ready. But the problem in asking that question, are you asleep this morning or awake, is that you know sleep comes in degrees, right? <laughs> I've got some funny stories this morning. I'm sure you've got some funny stories around sleep too. But the problem about this is sleep comes in stages, so we don't actually know where we are too easily. And uh, I want to talk about quickly in a very um, unsophisticated way, but in a, in a sort of pharmacy mind, but it, with human flesh on, how sleep starts to come upon the human body. Um, it reminds me of a time when my friend Calvin and I in high school, we decided we were going to stay up the whole night because in those days, you still had DVD shops and you could hire out PlayStations. And we were so broke that when we hired out the PlayStation with the DVD games or the, the virtual games, we wanted to play the whole night because we, we, we want to get the maximum amount of this PlayStation, right? Any of you ever did that? Uh, apart from the fact that I was absolutely useless at games. But we were so determined at the start. We had our caffeine ready. I mean, we had our high GI snacks. I mean, how stupid can you be as teenagers? It's not going to help you one little bit. But anyway, I would have been much different. My protein shake, and that would have been ready to go. But anyway, we had those days you didn't know any better. And there we were sitting on the bed. We'd set up the TV, and we're going to go. And friends, this is the same as trying to stay awake for an event or a person coming home. If you've ever tried to do that, it's not so easy. The first is that you're all determined at the beginning. Yeah! We're going to do this this whole night, and we, you talk big, and uh, you, you, you make big uh, goals. It's the same spiritually. When, when you come to faith in Jesus, he's the best thing that's ever happened to you. Maybe you've made some fresh resolve recently to follow Jesus, and you're alive. You're zealous. Yes! I want to follow Christ. And you're so awake and you're so alert and you think, I'll never fall asleep. But as time, oh dear, time drags on, you start to feel a little bit weary and bored, right? You start to yawn. Hmm. That's what can happen in our spiritual lives. I ask you, are you bored this morning around Jesus? Do you yawn? <gasps> and then, you know, it's so funny. Marina will tell you I'm just like this. The next stage is your attention starts to wane, right? You just can't think straight. She's like, I'm talking to you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Same with, with, with your spiritual life. You, you, your attention starts to wonder. Are you distracted from Jesus this morning? Are you, are you thinking about all these other things? Or is your focus set on him? And then the next part, which is even funnier, Marina will tell you I'm like this too. You get clumsier, right? When you're tired, you make mistakes. You start fumbling. Your behavior starts to become a little bit or uncoordinated. It's the same in your spiritual life, is you start to fumble with sin. You start to become uncoordinated in the way that you arrange your obedience to Jesus. Is that you this morning? You get a little bit careless. You get a little bit um, uncoordinated around the things that you know are pleasing to Him. And then what starts to happen is your senses start to fade out. I'll give you a good example. You become difficult to rouse. Have you ever felt like suddenly when you start to get drowsy, the voices in the room start to get a bit blurry, right? I'll tell you a funny story about what happened with Marina and I. We were watching TV. We were watching a film in the lounge once. It was before I was dating. This was a shock. This was a low I think this was the low moment of our relationship, I think so. And uh, I, I was running. I'm sure at that stage I was exhausted. So by 8 o'clock I was tired. And what I found was as I started to watched this film, I started to go, Ugh. and she was sitting next to me, and, 
and I started to put my head upon her. I'm sure she thought it was this cute moment of affection, right? Until I noticed all this drool running down her hair. And she woke up, oh, what are you doing? You're drooling all over me. I luckily was still able to be roused. It's the same this morning. I ask you, when last have you experienced life in the Lord? There's a weird thing that your senses start to get dull. When last has he spoken to you? I'm not talking about through the clouds. I'm talking about a prompting or a nudge or a sense of, that was for me. When last have you experienced the reality of this kingdom throbbing in your heart? When you hear the preaching this morning and you hear this kingdom's coming, it's around the corner. It could be any moment. It's going to come like a thief. Does it excite you? Does it make you go, yes, I know what I'm living for? Or does it go, oh, please, God, please make him hurry up. Is the spiritual drool just coming down? I also have another funny story because what starts to happen is reality gets blurry and then eventually you fall asleep. I remember my favorite nights of the year were prize givings at school. It was grade seven. It was my final prize giving and there was a teacher who I admired, Miss Whitehead. She was a brilliant public speaker. She was mistress of ceremonies. And there's always tradition around prize giving and these teachers would walk in with their academic robes and you know, you go, oh, I might get a prize. And I was so excited that so much adrenaline happened that night. I won't go into all the details because I'm running out of time. But my dad used to invite the staff front to our home to have uh, beverages and to celebrate the year. And one of the teacher's children was a friend of mine. And I <laughs> in my school clothes, uh, we were talking. And I just remember doing this. She was just talking. And I just remember passing out. And I can imagine she tried to rouse me. Say, hey, I'm talking to you. I woke up with such a start. It was 2 in the morning in my school clothes. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know what had happened. But I knew I'd missed out on the whole party. I'd missed out on the whole fun. And I'd fallen asleep. And friends, that's what can happen spiritually, is you can no longer be roused. And that's what I'm trying so hard this morning to do for you by the Spirit, is I'm trying to be the voice of nudging and trying to not let the second come and be the moment when you wake up to the glory of Jesus. But that this morning you would come alert to the one who died and loves you and leading you, however graciously, however severely this morning. Sometimes you have to have the voice of God come to you in different ways. But friends, the encouragement this morning is to not fall asleep because why? What's the whole point of staying awake is that you have work to do in the kingdom. Is that God has apportioned you a servant role. And it doesn't matter if it's seen or unseen this morning. It doesn't matter if it's intellectual or not. It doesn't matter what it looks like to the person next to you. It matters to God, amen? It matters to Him. And the thing we don't want to see at 8 o'clock is you sitting here on a chair thinking, the best days are gone because I've received Jesus Christ. Is that your attitude this morning? That, oh, I've tasted of Jesus and that's enough, I'm okay and I'm going to go to heaven. No, my friends, the great tragedy of sleep. Notice he uses sleep brilliantly. It's not death. You, you can't be touched by the second death, Scripture says, but you can fall asleep. You can be so drowsy, you can be so, so indolent, so, so apathetic in the, in, in, a, in the things of God that you fall fast asleep. And what happens then is when you're asleep, are you productive? Can you do your work? Can you participate in reality of what God is doing? Friends, you're in a false reality. You're in a dreamland that thinks it's real to you, but it's sleep. Oh, might God grant us this morning the grace to see the wonderful opportunity. It's a window where God says to you, I want to use you for a short period of time. It's short 
Marina and I were sitting on the couch last night talking about how quickly the years, we have moved a year ago already. And you know, you can track your life by the milestones, right? Friends, they're getting faster and faster. It's going quicker and quicker. And in that moment of, of speaking about her role as a doctor and how God is using her for the city and talking about my role here at the church and our children and how we want to be useful and faithful to be stewarded by God. Friends, that's the kind of person who starts to be alert and alive to the significance of the season and the opportunity to please Jesus in it. I'm not saying this is easy. Oh, but it's meaningful, amen? I'm not saying that this is going to be the path of least resistance. Oh, but it will be a path that it does something in your heart. The, the last couple of weeks as I've been having to work through this text and pray, I tell you, I cannot wait for Jesus to come. My wife deals in cancer. Let me tell you, cancer after cancer after cancer. Can you imagine a day when there is no more sickness, there's no more sorrow, there is no more sin, even between Christians, the misunderstandings that have happened, the very things that have broken fellowship on earth will not break fellowship in heaven. Friends, there is a day coming which makes these, these sufferings, as Paul says, momentary and light in comparison to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. And I want to stir you on this morning with just a few helpful tips on staying awake. <laughs> it's done brilliantly in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 to 7, and I want you to go home and to read them after the sermon. But what are the signs of being awake? Well, this morning, how do you know you're awake and what can you do to add to your faith? That's what Peter says. You've received this faith by grace. It's a gift. It's not of yourselves. This any man should boast. But you have to add something to it. And let me tell you, God is so gracious in helping us to do this. The first is, will you add some zeal this morning? In your heart, the way you know you're awake is that you are motivated to please Jesus. And if not, it's okay. Start now. It's okay. You've fallen in the kingdom of grace. You might say, I've made a stuff up after hearing this, this message. I need to get right with God. Well done. That's God's grace to you. He's not going to deal with you according to your transgressions. What he will deal with you is according to his zeal for you in Jesus. Do you know that he loves you? Do you know he is more motivated than you are that you would live for him? That his posture in heaven is not one of saying, let's see how you do, but saying, look, here's my hand. It's full of grace for you today to stand and to live for Jesus. Praise God. That he is here not scolding you and moralizing you, saying, you silly Billy. He's saying, no, come, son. Come, daughter. I'm a father that knows how to discipline and help you live well for me. Don't you think my heart is for you? Don't you think my zeal is there so that you might have zeal for me? Everything in my heart is moving towards you. Everything in my heart is for you to live a life that pleases me. I haven't even withheld my only son to you. How much more this morning do you have an encouragement to start living for Jesus? But the second is we need knowledge. We are to add knowledge, which means, friends, we are to guard against spiritual boredom. When last have you fed your faith? When last are you taking seriously these great saints and their story of how they trusted Jesus, of reading your Bible open to the Spirit and saying, Lord, these are the words of life to me. Unless I eat of you, unless I drink of you through your word, I have no life in me. Friends, Hosea was damning in his prophecy saying to Israel, our people perish because of lack of knowledge. Do you add to your faith as much as you add to your hobbies? Are you as interested about diet and about sports and about literature and about all of these things that grip the human heart? Friends, faith is something to be added to in knowledge, to grow and to read and to establish. What, what, Peter, what Paul said to Timothy is, 
Study, devote, give yourself to these things that all may see your progress. When last have you taken on an assignment to grow in the Lord and add to your faith? Oh, we get so run-of-the-mill, not so. Oh, we do a little devotional, and they say something nice that maybe gives us a little plaster for the day instead of hearing from the voice of the Lord, of hearing this knowledge coming from heaven through the revelation of the Spirit. It doesn't have to be this dramatic thing, but it's feeding us. It's growing us. It's teaching us who God is, how we are to live, and how to treasure this great salvation He's given to us. And then He says you need to add some self-control. Zeal is unstable. It needs knowledge, but knowledge needs application. And friends, the way you know you're alert today is that you keep a spiritual proportion in your life. This is the hardest one. You give yourself in proportion to what you know is pleasing to God. You don't just run off and pray all the time or never pray. You don't just run and read on your Bible. And it's only, you, don't, you don't let these excesses in us, in you and me, distort the way grace has made us and comes to us in our body, mind, and spirit. We keep our appetites in check, and we keep our spiritual disciplines and our spiritual desires in proportion, in a balance that, know, that we know we are pleasing to the Lord. It takes great skill. The only way you will grow in maturity and how to do this is actually doing it, and you'll discover you pick up some problems when you try to live for Jesus in your prayer life, in your Bible, in your, in your commitment to fellowship. And by the way, I just want to say this. I've been thinking about whether or not I should, but I'm going to do it anyway. Friends, Rhythm is very important in the kingdom. Grace flows through rhythms in your life. Do you know that? The rhythm of daily spending time with the Lord, however that looks each day is a bit difficult. The rhythm of this fellowship, I want to guard you. There are many public holidays coming up, and I'm the first to, 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 to advocate for physical rest. I'm going on leave for the next two weekends, and I can't wait. But it's to feed my soul. It's not at the cost of the kingdom. I don't come in and out of here thinking that this is just something I pick up and I put down. I come here being committed to this fellowship and to my small group during the week because it is a part of the rhythm of God's grace to my life. And friends, I recognize that not everybody has a blueprint that looks the same, but there are commitments in our hearts where there is self-control and understanding that God has so arranged His kingdom that they flow through rhythms. That there is grace for us to drink of and eat of outside of our individuality that are necessary for our growth and faith and progress in the kingdom. This isn't something we do lightly. Is it for you? How are you going to navigate March and April? Are you going to hold to this blessing of rest, but not at the cost of the kingdom, but recognizing that self-control keeps me in proportion so that I'm useful to the kingdom? I'll quickly add on the last couple, steadfastness. We need to add steadfastness to our faith. What does steadfastness mean? It means you go on when you feel depressed and you feel tired. I'll be honest with you this morning. I woke up early. I struggled to get up out of that bed. <laughs> and I sat outside with my cup of coffee and said, Lord, I don't even want to pray. I'm too tired. <laughs> and I said, well, Matthew, you're preaching this morning. How does your sermon serve you? He's saying, I'm going to be steadfast, not in my efforts, but in the grace of God towards me. Do you know what I mean by that? Please listen to me carefully. There's a lot of movement this morning. I don't want you to distract you from this blessing that God has for you. Is you remain steadfast in God's mercy towards you. You remain steadfast in His grace of saying, my posture towards you this morning is undeserved. So that as I'm throwing up these prayers of weakness and tiredness, saying, Lord, I don't, have, I don't have energy to contend, but I can say, Lord, just bless your people. 
Lord, would you just guard my heart from going down appetites, which I know when I'm tired, I'm prone to. Keep me from unbelief. Help me stay steadfast in my joy. It's not a joy in how I feel. It's not a joy in who you are. You're leading yourself into things that are outside of you that are fixed and certain that feed your soul. Are you with me this morning? Oh, I hope so. You're going to have to get past self-control to get there. But friends, to stay awake this morning is to enjoy your salvation even when you don't deserve it. Godliness. We add godliness. We, we have a zeal for the glory of God. Can I ask you this morning, 8 a.m., please, 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 what are you living for? Is that God might meet you on your terms, or do you understand that your design has been made for His glory, your brilliance in whatever aspect of your life that you might have? He has positioned you. He has given you the sense of, of calling to be a God-glorifying image of Him. And godliness is being alert to his call, brotherly kindness, instead of us getting all sort of mishmashed in our spiritual reality, is we realize that we are alert to the needs of our brothers and sisters in this place. Just park that for a moment and listen to me. The sign that you are awake is that you are connected to need in this room. That's how you know you're awake, is when you come in here, it's not just me and me only, is your antenna up and going, how am I alert to the way God has situated me in this church to brotherly kindness? And friends, I want to ask you, when last have you loved another person in this room? That's why you're here. Is you are here to be a part of a community that is closer than blood family. You are here this morning to be part of a community which is closer than, than your very, very relative that's sitting next to you at home at the table. If they're not in Christ, they're not as close to you as, as we are. I'm sorry, guys, could you maybe just talk a bit softer? Okay, thanks. But I want to say this to you this morning. The greatest of all is whether you know you are awake, and please, this is the ultimate of all, is that you are adding love to your faith. The only way you can love as a human being, this is what I'm going to land on, so please listen to me now. Please listen to me. Look at me. The only way you can love as a human being is when all of your faculties are alert and awake to the needs of the world around you. What does it say to love God? You shall love Him with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. Friends, if you are awake fully to this God, and this is His design, He'll help you do it. If you yield to Him, He'll show you how much is, is being provided for you in Jesus. No one must feel inadequate this morning to do this because this is the rhythm of God's mercy to you, which on you every morning to take a new stand, to say, today, Jesus, I want to live fully alive to what your call is for my life, which is ultimately to love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love my neighbor as I love myself, and to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you are going to do that, you will be alert with your ears and your eyes and your heart and your mouth and your hands, your whole body will be in tune with the, with the opportunities to be a blessing. Do you want to know if you're alive? You are loving people imperfectly, but it's there. Do you want to know how you are unattractive being spiritually dead? I have to say that this morning is you are so in love with yourself. When last have you prayed for another person? When last have you prayed for this church? When last have you prayed for the Christians in Ukraine? When last have you opened up your eyes to see this kingdom is vast and broad and our call to love is beyond ourselves or our little holy huddle at home or our little mantelpiece where our children get the perfect jobs and the perfect spouse and the perfect work? Let me tell you, love goes beyond the borders of even our home and our blood relations. Love is understanding for a limited period of time. We are here to represent the love of God. 
which is he didn't spare his own son. Now, these are the things, friends, that are to grip our lives. Some days you will feel strong. Some days you will feel weak. But praise God, God is always the same. Some days you'll feel worthy. Be careful of pride. Some days you'll feel absolutely unworthy. Welcome to the realm of grace. Is there any reason this morning for you to live far away from the Christ who bled and died for you? To have any reason not to have a confidence in the salvation to move forward? That God will complete the good work He started in you. That He's able to move you forward from one degree of glory to the next. What are you waiting for this morning? Is it sin? He has a blood. His blood is shed for, for the forgiveness of sin. Is it doubt? Friends, what more must He do if He's given you His only Son? What more proof do you need? He's going to give you what you need to live for Him. Is a sense of not knowing if you, what to do next in your life. He'll give you wisdom. Every aspect of his word is saying to you today, what do you need? It's provided for you in Jesus. What weakness that you have? Oh, welcome to the club. Paul says, I'll boast all the more in my weakness. Why? That the strength, the strength of God may be perfected. Friends, he's not asking for a perfect people. He's asking for people that love and, and trust a perfect Savior. Who has provided in our best and in our worst enough for us to live for him day by day. That when we come to him, we have a sense that he is not ministering to us according to how we deserve. But according to his grace of a father that has pastored his very son as a means of certainty for you and me to come. To eat and to drink and enjoy him this morning. To enjoy undeserved merit, undeserved opportunity to live and love Jesus and to be a blessing to the people around you. That's kingdom life. I can sign up for that, amen? I can't sign up for the temple. Praise God, it was destroyed. But I can sign up for a person who is dealing with me in my weakness and whose strength can be perfected day by day. All he asks is for me to be faithful in coming, to add these things to our faith. Because this is the promise. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 doesn't end just with adding these things to our faith. He says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will richly be provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Let's pray. Jesus, as we come to you this morning, we come to a living word, a fountain that never runs dry, a kingdom of grace led by the most gracious king of heaven, who, whilst we were still sinners, died for us to bring us close this morning, not to leave us as, as servants, no, but to be offered the opportunity to be friends. And this morning, Lord, I pray that we would grab hold with a willingness to be alert and alive to this glorious Savior who's loved us with his own body and blood. I pray this morning you would deliver us from small-mindedness, from the things that seem to crash into our hearts of faith, making so big the things that are guaranteed for those who live and love Jesus. Oh, Lord, 
deliver us from an, an unkingdom-like self-protection. <laughs> Faith is risky, Lord. I pray as a church that we will grow in taking the risk of trusting you, of living differently. And as I read in your word this morning, that we would not be conformed to the pattern of this world, thinking things will just carry on forever and ever and never really change. No, friends, Lord, I pray that we would, as, as a people this morning, <laughs> be gripped with the full stop that's coming and the new chapter of a heaven and earth in which righteousness dwells. Might we live for that day? Come what may, seal that in our hearts, we pray. Amen. I want to close off today by saying, as you go and enjoy fellowship, are you ready to be with Jesus? You must put sin right in your life today.